Well, as I mentioned in the opening, today we are in part three in our series, Going Through the Motions, and that brings us to uh, uh, Malachi chapter three today. And so if you have your Bibles with you, um, please turn in your Bibles to Malachi chapter three, and we're going to dive into that. But let me just give you a really quick refresher. In the first week that we started this series, we talked, we started this series about going through the motions. And we're going to continue in that. And today we're talking about, you know, giving back. And last week we talked about uh, honoring our commitments. And so, but the whole focus of this series is this idea of going through the motions. Because all of us are able to, in different ways in our lives, just go through the motions of stuff. Whether it's in honoring our commitment, whether it's in worship, whether it's in giving, whether it's in, you know, our obedience to God. Um, we begin to just shrink into this pattern. And we, we find ourselves in this pattern, and this morning in our baptism class, we talked about, you know, just ending up in that kind of a pattern, even in our prayer life, where how we pray, all of a sudden we find ourselves just, just kind of going through the motions. We're not really, you know, we're not really focused as much on our prayer, or we're not really focused as much on our worship as we should, we should be. We're just sort of going through the motions. And so in the first week, we talked about going through the motions, and just this idea that we sometimes just end up in a place of worship. You know, the people have been exiled and they're, they're brought back into Jerusalem and instead of genuinely worshiping God and giving Him thanks, they're bringing Him lame animals and, and they're going through the motions. They were doing their sacrifices, but they weren't doing it with a genuine heart of worship. They, they were just doing what was required of them. Last week, uh, the author, Malachi, you know, God speaking through Malachi, he was pretty hard on the priest. And we, we said last week, it's a little bit like the church volunteers and the church staff and the leaders of the church today. That's, that's sort of what the role of the priest was. They were there to make sure that, that worship happened. They were there to make sure that the temple, you know, the requirements were fulfilled and those kind of things. And yet these priests were not really honoring their commitment. Because if they were really honoring their commitment, there's no way they would have allowed people to bring animals and to offer sacrifices that were not their best. And so the priests knew what they were doing, they knew what they were supposed to do, but instead of really genuinely honoring their commitment, we said that they were just going through the motions. They were fulfilling their obligation, but not really honoring their commitment. And so that leads us now to today. And if you are a church person, and if you have ever read the book of Malachi, most of you already know what chapter 3 is about. Today we're going to talk about money. And today we're going to talk about giving. And I want to tell you right off the bat, I am going to preach this as hard as I did the first two. Because I think that in the area of our giving, in the area of our tithing, we can end up going through the motions in the same way as we can go through the motions in anything else. So what we want to do today is we want to just take a moment and we want to talk about are we giving God our best or are we giving God our leftovers when it comes to our finances? Now if you're brand new here today and you're like, great, this is the first sermon, I just want you to know we don't preach on money all that often, but I think this is an important um, area for us to focus in on today and so we're going to dig in and we're going to dive in and we're going to see what the Bible has to say in Malachi about these people who were, as God says, robbing him because they would not give him what was rightfully his. Now here's something I want you to remember as we start. The book of Malachi is structured as a seven-cycle argument between God and his people. Now what that means is you're going to hear God 
Um, you know, dia- there's a form of dialogue. This, this whole book is this form of, form of dialogue or argument where God speaks to the people, and then the people have this very cynical response back to God, and then God elaborates on his original thought. And you see this uh, seven times in the book where God says something, and then the people are like, how is that? You know, how are we doing that? Or why do you say we're doing that? And then God explains again why and he said the initial comment. So what I want to do is, I want to take and I want to read a, a, a lengthy section of Scripture to us. And so it's going to be on the screen, but if you have your Bible, I'm reading from the 2010 NIV, and so this may be a little bit different on the screen than what you have, but I want you to follow along. I want you to see this for yourself, and then we're going to dive in and, and look at it more carefully. So we're going to start actually in Malachi chapter 2, verses 17. Because that's kind of where the section begins, and I, I think we need to get the whole thing. And so let's, let's read this section, and then we'll go back and we'll look at it a little bit more carefully. Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. Here's what it says. You have wearied the Lord with your words. And so here you see the, the cynical response. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or where is the God of justice? Now we're jumping to verse, chapter 3, verse 1. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a lauderer's soap. He will set, sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them with gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in the days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to you, I will, I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, idolaters, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. Do not, do not, but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed, because he made a promise originally. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Verse 8. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will, be, that there will not be enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and, vine, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe." says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. 
Now that's a lengthy section, and it's a, it's a harsh kind of a section. And the whole book of Malachi is, this, is just this strong warning to the people over and over and over of God's um, dislike of what the people are doing. The prophet begins here by accusing the people of being weary, of wearying the Lord with their cynical complaints. Now that the people have returned to the promised land and the temple has been rebuilt, the people are wondering out loud, where is God? What has happened to the promise that God made that to return back to Jerusalem and to return back to the temple? They are waiting for Him to inhabit it again. After all, when Moses built the tabernacle, God dwelt within the tabernacle. When, Moses, um, when Solomon, built, Solomon built the temple, God dwelt within the temple. And so now the people are naturally saying, why is God no longer present? Um, should I use this one, Bernie? We'll try to use both of them. All right. Um, he, he's, they're wondering, why, am I not, why is God not present in the temple? Why is God not here? And the people are frustrated, and so they're saying that the God of justice has left them. And they're frustrated, and they're expressing their frustration out loud, and they're wearying God with these concerns. The interesting thing is that the answer to their complaint, where is the God of justice, is that the God of justice is on His way through Jesus Christ. These people don't understand it, but that God is going to make His dwelling in the temple in the sense of us, the church. They don't understand that. So they're just saying, God used to dwell in the tabernacle. God used to dwell in the temple. And now, where is He? And they don't understand that God will send His Son, Jesus. I think the other thing that they assume is that when God dwells among them, that all He's going to do is give them their blessings. That like in the years past, like in the days before, all they will have are the blessings. And so they assume that when God comes, that, that there will only be blessings, but now what they're facing is instead judgment. Because one day Jesus will come, and He will be a witness against all the evildoers of the world, including these blasphemous cynics who are just critical of everything that God is doing. In the last part of this verse, it reads, Then suddenly... Verse 1, it reads, Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to His temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And the cool thing is that we see a part of this being, or we see this being fulfilled in the prophecy of Simeon at the temple when he encounters the infant Jesus in Luke chapter 2, verse 32, where he speaks out loud at the temple that now the Scripture has been fulfilled. But these people, feeling that God has abandoned them, feeling that God has not dwelled again in the temple as they assume He would, they kind of think that, you know, we build a temple, God has to show up, this sort of this principle, if you build it, He will come. And now they've restored the temple, they've restored the walls of Jerusalem, and so they just assume that God is now on contract. And because they have done their part, God is now obligated to dwell in their midst and to bless them the way He had with their ancestors. And He's not doing that. And because things are not rolling out exactly the way they had thought it would, the people have gone 
just into the motions. They are just going through the motions. They're just doing what's required of them. And they're frustrated and they're cynical. I think that it's important that we not allow ourselves to end up in this kind of place. We have looked at two of them, uh, two of the places where the people have gone through the motions. And so today we want to look at the third one. The third way that these people are just going through the motions is that they are robbing God with their tithes and their offerings. Previously, Malachi spoke directly to the priest. He was very, very uh, straightforward and he, he spoke directly to the priest. But now he addresses this to the whole nation. He says, your whole nation. In other words, this isn't something that just the priests are doing. This isn't something that just a, a select few people are doing. He's saying, you are all withholding your tithe. You are all withholding your offerings. You are, you are all robbing God because you are not giving Him what is rightfully His. Let's read verse 8 again and 9. He says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? This is really cynical, this, this you know, evil and kind of mean-spirited question of saying, so how, how are we doing this, God? How are, how are we robbing you? And God answers, and He's very specific. He says, in tithes and offering, you are under a curse. Because you are robbing God, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you. Because you are robbing me. Verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. God has a specific place, a special place, for His children to bring their tithes and offering. In the wilderness, the Israelites were to bring their tithe and their offering to the tabernacle. Today, it's the church. The designated place to bring our tithes and our offering today is the local church. Now, what was once a voluntary custom of contributing to the work of God with our tithes and our offering became a requirement under the law of Moses. So for the people of Israel, this was now something that was required of them. Now, as a church today, we are under grace. And so we give our tithe and our offering not as a, requ a requirement to the law of Moses, but we give our tithe and offering today because we have received the grace of God. And so because we have received so much, because we have received the grace of God, we ought to be giving back because of all that He has given us. Now, you may find it interesting, but throughout the history of, of God dealing with His people, there... Their willingness to tithe, their willingness to give their offerings always depended on their relationship with Him. For example, if the people were walking close in close fellowship with God, they supported His work and they gave generously. They gave above and beyond what was required of them. But when they rebelled against Him, they always withheld their tithe. Because it's very difficult for us to give when we feel disconnected. It's very difficult for us not to give when we feel fully engaged. And you will see as you go through the Old Testament, whenever the people were rebelling against God, they withheld their gifts, their offerings, their tithes. But when the people were close, they would bring as much as they could in order to give to God because they saw how faithful and how good God had been to them. I think what Bill Hybels once said is so true. 
He says the tithe is a wonderful goal, but a terrible place to stop. The tithe is a wonderful goal, but a terrible place to stop. Because you see, if you do the math, and you look at your paycheck, and you're like, oh, here it is, this is the exact amount to the penny, and that's what you give, so you meet your goal, you meet your 10%, you do exactly what's required of you, but you never go above and beyond. I think it's an easy thing for us to just do monthly or weekly or however you give your gift. And you just kind of do it, you put it in, it's over with, it's done, let's move on to the next thing. So I think what Bill Heibel is saying here is the goal should never be just to give our tithe. Our goal should always be give as much as we uh, need to in order for us to respond to what God has given us. The act of giving the substance of our lives to God goes back to the very beginning of Scripture. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 3, we read this. In the course of time, Cain, the son of Adam and Eve, brought some of the fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel, their other son, also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. Why did he look on favor with, to Abel's but not to Cain's? The answer was simple. Abel brought his best to God, and Cain brought his leftovers. Abel went and he took the fatted portion. He took the best of what he had. And Cain, he just brought his leftovers. He brought some of the fruit of the soil. He really wasn't too concerned. He was just going through the motions, just, just giving God the leftovers, giving, them as, giving him as little as he could. Think about it for a bit. All of the outstanding characters of the Bible were givers. They gave regularly. They gave cheerfully. They gave thankfully. And they brought their gifts to God. God is telling the people here in Malachi that when they do not bring their tithes and their offerings, that they are robbing Him. They are withholding from God what is rightfully His. I think the interesting here is that we have no problem with this concept of giving God what is rightfully His in other areas of our lives. For example, if I would say that you should worship God, that you should honor God, you should, you should give God your praise and your worship because He rightfully deserves it, all of us in this room would say, well, absolutely. But when we switch it to tithing, when we switch it to giving, all of a sudden, it's a little bit different. We view it differently, and now all of a sudden, our money is ours. Our breath, our life, we'd say, oh, no, no, if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't have breath, I wouldn't be able to worship Him. And somehow in our lives, we seem to make this distinction sometimes. When it comes to tithes and when it comes to offerings, we do not give Him, we do not view our money as rightfully His in the same way that we view our worship and our praise and our prayers and our adoration as rightfully His. And I think this is why very often we end up in a place in our lives where we just go through the motions. So because we don't see it this way, because we don't see our money as something that is rightfully His, we find ourselves, I think, easily sometimes giving without joy, giving without really worshiping Him, giving grudgingly, 
Counting the very penny so that we don't give more than what's required. So why should we tithe? I don't know if in the New Testament it's as clear as in the Old Testament where it says you must. I think that, again, because in today we are under grace, I think this is an area where we are very willing to just sort of say, well, you know what? It's my choice. And so I'm not going to beat you over the head with the Bible today and says the Bible says you must and therefore you must. So let's look at this. Why should you tithe? Why should you bring your offerings to the church? Because I believe that the local church is, as Bill Hybels again, to quote Bill Hybels again, the hope of the world. I believe that Jesus' desire to reach the world is through the local church. And so I think that there's, there's an important place where we need to bring our, our tithes and our offerings. But let me ask you again the question, why should we tithe? The first thing I want you to understand is that I believe tithing is worship. Tithing is not something that we do as a requirement so that we can pay for the bills. Tithing is an act of worship. And in the first week, we said that worship wasn't there for God's benefit. Worship is there for our benefit. And so again, I would say the same thing is true with tithing. We don't tithe for God's benefit. God doesn't need our money. Now, I know some of you are probably nudging your spouse right now saying, you hear that? The preacher said, God don't need my money. Put the checkbook away. Never given again. God doesn't need our money in the sense that he is now like, oh man, guys, unless these people give, what are we going to do? God is not a treasurer of the church who's panicking when we're not meeting our our, um, amount, which, praise God, we have been doing very, very well. So we don't give for God's benefit. We give for our benefit. Worship is a response. When you sing and when you praise God and when you are home alone and you have this, just this time of worship, what you are doing is you are responding to God. He has moved in your hearts and He has, he has maybe taught you something or you've just, you just felt, felt His presence and what you do in response to that, you worship. Worship is a response. We worship God out of gratitude for what He has done for us. So when we receive something from someone, we naturally respond by saying something. We naturally give something back, whether it's a thank you or whether it's a a gift in return. But the natural thing when we receive something from someone is to give some kind of response. Worship is a response. Tithing is worship. So when God has blessed us with our jobs, when God has blessed us with with our income, when God has blessed us with the wealth that we have, I would say to us, it is unnatural not to tithe. As a matter of fact, I think for some of us, when we don't, we know that we are not doing what is actually a natural thing to do, and that's to respond when we have been given something. Worship is our response to God. When we tithe, we respond by giving a response for all that God has done for us. If we do not, we fail to see what He has done in our lives. And I think that when we begin to fail to see what God has done in our lives, and when we stop responding to Him for all that He has done in our lives, we can very easily find ourselves just going through the motions of life. And I would dare say, like these people in Malachi, 
When we begin to just go through the motions of our lives and we don't respond to God and we don't give back to Him, we become cynical. We begin to ask cynical questions like, where is God? Why is He not doing this? Why? And we, we, be, we become these people who, are, who, who become cynics, who only see the negative. We lose our joy. Because when we go through the motions, you don't need to have passion. You don't need to have a sense of awe to go through the motions. There's a story of a little boy who is chastised by his mother for taking the biggest piece of pie and leaving the smaller one for the company. Son, she asked, why did you take the largest piece of pie and leave the smallest piece for our company? I'm sorry, Mommy, she, he replied. Which piece would you have taken? I would have taken the smallest piece, the mother answered. And the boy, smiling like crazy, says, Well, Mom, it's still there. I think sometimes when it comes to our lives, we have a little bit of an approach like this little boy. When it comes to worship, when it comes to, especially in the area of tithing, we're a little bit like this boy. We just want the biggest piece. We want what's, what we feel is rightfully ours. We, we just think of ourselves first and foremost. I want to give you guys just a little history of tithing. Just so you know, this isn't like something that started only during the, the law of Moses. The first occurrence of tithing came when Abraham met Mechizeldek, the first mentioned priest of God. As Abraham returned from victory after the battle, he met this priest. He was the king of Solomon. You can read this in Genesis chapter 14. This priest is sort of, a, in, the, in the book of Hebrews, portrayed as this, the priesthood of Christ Jesus himself. And since this priest had now ministered to an individual, to Abraham, he gave Abraham bread and wine, in return, what does Abraham do? Because now that this priest has ministered to Abraham, to him, Abraham's response is to give him a tenth of everything he had. Interestingly, when the first priest of God appeared in the Bible, isn't it interesting that tithes are collected to support his ministry? Also, tithes were paid at a place that later would be connected to worship. This priest, the king of Solomon, is now the place that we know now as Jerusalem. The next occurrence of tithing came when Jacob was in Bethel, also a place later approved for the worship of God. There, Jacob saw a symbol of salvation, the ladder reaching into heaven. Jacob, knowing that the place was, knowing that the presence of God was in this place, named the place Bethel, meaning house of God. He vowed that if God would bless him, he would return to that place. In Genesis chapter 28, verse 22, this is what he says, And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give to me, I will give you a tenth. The apostles encouraged tithing. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1, Paul says this, Now about the collection of the, for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian church to do. On the first day of every week, 
Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will, be, will need to be made. In the New Testament, there are also a number of places where people gave much more than just the tenth. So when, when we withhold our tithing, when we withhold our worship, we are withholding our response to God. And I think, sadly, tithing is something that is often seen as, as something that we do only when there's a need. So when we talk about tithing within the church, often it's, it's around, you know, a time of need. And so we'll come up here and say, you know, the church is really struggling to meet their budget. And again, thank God that over the years we have been saved that. But very often when, we, when people tithe, it's like, oh, there's a need, and so therefore I need to give. So tithing is very often done only as a necessary or only when, it's, uh, only when there's a need. People see it's only necessary when there's a need. And again, we don't give for God's benefit. We give for ours. So we don't need to tithe only when the church is in need because you don't only respond to God when there's a need somewhere. We respond to God always out of gratitude for what He has given to us. So you and I, we need to all tithe. Not when there's a need, but as a response for what God has given to us. His Son Jesus, who died on the cross. His blessings, His grace, which is sufficient for every single person. So the question that we need to ask ourselves, and I think the question that we need to ask as individuals and as a church as a whole, is are we going through the motions when it comes to our response to God in the area of tithing and giving? Are you financially giving your leftovers? Or are you giving in response to what God has done in your life? Now, the same as in the first two Sundays, I will say this to you again. Nobody needs to tell you if you are. Nobody needs to tell you if you are going through the motions in this area because you know if you are. So I'm not here to, to point you out. I'm just telling you, like it says in Malachi, where God says to the people, you are robbing me. You are keeping what is rightfully mine from me. And I would say this, excuse me, the same is true for us today. When we do not respond fully to God, we are robbing God of what He rightfully deserves. And that is in the area of worship, whether it's in our singing, that's in the area of our serving, that's in the area of fulfilling our commitment, and is also true in the area of tithing. So that's the question that we need to answer as individuals, and it's also a question that we need to answer as a church as a whole. Are we a generous church? Are we as a church giving generously to those who are in need? I think this was something that was before the board a few years ago. And I think this was something that there was a huge response to. And that's why when you look at our budget now, you will see a very different budget than what you saw a number of years ago. Because what we began to focus on is saying how much of what we need is in-house and how much of what we have needs to go out, out of out, out house. How much of what we have needs to go to other places. My goodness. 
And I think this is just something that we needed to struggle with. Clearly, we need to pay the bills. We need to pay all the little details, the utilities and all that stuff. Absolutely. But you can literally take our budget and separate it towards what is necessary as far as running the place and what is focused on ministry. And I thank God for the fact that I think, should have checked this more carefully, but I think if nothing else, we are at least clearly 50-50 or we are, we are more in the area of ministry than we are on our utilities and those kind of things. And that's a good thing, folks. Because we as a church need to be a generous church. We as people, as individuals, need to be generous. Because God has blessed us with so much. I told you at the beginning, I was going to preach this as hard as I did the first two. And here's my desire for you. I trust... And the team can come up. Sorry, you guys can come on up already. I trust that we as individuals and we as a local church will cheerfully and generously respond by giving back to God because of how He has so graciously given to us. I trust that every single one of us here today would, like we did in the first two messages, Consider carefully our response to this. In the first message, a lot of you said, you know, I have been going through the motions in my time of worship. In the second message, I've had a number of you who are volunteering and serving in this church come up to me and say, you know what, I've been doing this, I've been serving, but I just fulfilled my obligation. I have not really been focusing on honoring my commitments. And so I hope today you wrestle. I hope you're not sitting there right now going, oh, this guy just wants your money. has nothing to do with me. You are not responding to Ike Unger. This is you and God. And we as a church, it's not about our community. It's not how we're seen in the community. We as a church need to respond generously to our community and to the world because God has so graciously and generously given to us. So I encourage you today to really wrestle this through and say, am I just going through the motions in what I am giving to God? Or am I going to truly respond and give to Him what is His? Let's pray. Father God, I thank You that You have given us so much. I think it's interesting that North America, we're one of the only places in the world where places like, you know, where we have um, places that are literally set aside for storage. We have storage bins that are booming because we have so much that we don't even have room for it in our own homes. So you have been generous. You have been so generous to us. But even in in a greater way than being generous with our finances, God, you have given us your son Jesus. You've given him to the entire world. And so I pray, God, that our lives would be an act of worship. In every way, we would respond. In every way, God, we would give you what is yours. We have nothing without you. We are nothing without you. And I pray, Lord, that that would be the approach that we would take in our response to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.